0: Now entering Nerdist.com
1: Hey, pals, it's me, Ben Blacker, your pal. Happy birthday, America, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, There are a couple more Nerdist Writers panels coming at you in the next few weeks. We have uh, this very special episode I did with my friend Mark Flanagan today. I hope you'll check out the book that we talk about called I, Marty. Um, We've got another year in review, uh, part two, coming next week. Uh, and uh, then I think possibly even one or two more before the end of the year. We're just cramming them in. You may have heard the announcement at the end of last week's Year interview, Review Part 1 that starting next year we will be known as the Writers' Panel. Uh, but the reason I'm talking to you today is to urge you to check out ATX Festival and their pitch competition. I know many of you are writers, and uh, the winners from the past few years have all been Nerdist Writers Panel listeners. So that could be you. You're listening to it right now, which means you could be a winner of the pitch competition. Um, First of all, go to ATXfestival.com. It's the best television, possibly the only television festival around. Uh, It's in June in Austin, and it's just the most fun. Um, And while you're there, click on Programming, and then click on the pitch competition if you have an idea for a TV show. Um, It's super easy to do. You just make a 90-second pitch video. 90 seconds! That's awesome. Most pitches are like at least a half hour. Uh, So you make that video and you upload it. Just follow the directions. You're not stupid. You downloaded this podcast, so you know how to do it. Uh, But I would urge you all to check it out. Um, I will definitely be there, and um, the, the folks who have won in the past have all found success in this business. You know, the, just winning the competition, sometimes just being in the competition has given them a leg up. Um, submissions end January 15th. So get your submission in by January 15th. All the rules are at atxfestival.com slash programming slash pitch. Uh, while you're there, poke around and see who's going to be on this year's at this year's festival. They've got amazing panelists lined up. Everyone from... Uh, Betsy Beers, who uh, works with Shonda Rhimes, Hart Hansen, uh, there's going to be an Everybody Loves Raymond situation. Uh, so many awesome people. They say Norman Lear will be there. I believe them. Uh, so check it out, atxfestival.com, uh, enter the pitch pop uh, competition, check out the panelists, and come to Austin in June. I will. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel and it's hosted by Ben Blacker Where he gets a bunch of
0: writers and he asks them lots
1: of questions And it's turning now so this will be the end of the theme Dr. Frankenstein Frankenstein You're putting me on? No, it's pronounced Frankenstein Do you also say Frodrick? No Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froedwick Frankenstein? It isn't. It's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? There's a new book out. It's out in England right now. It comes out in America in February, but you can order it on Amazon. I got mine on Amazon. It took a couple of weeks to get to me, so order it now. It's called I'm Marty. It is the newly discovered autobiography of a comic genius Marty Feldman. Um, Marty died some years ago, and I uh, have with me today the kind of the, the driving force behind getting this book out. Is that accurate true uh, Mark Flanagan. thank you for being here. Thank you, Ben. Uh, if you know Flanny's name, and you probably do if you listen to this podcast or Pete Holmes or any number of other podcasts... I've only done two, for God's sake. But for anyone who is on the comedy scene or yes. the music scene in Los Angeles, uh, you are also the man behind Largo, which at this point is an institution. It is 20 years next year. Uh, a, I'm institutionalized. A scene maker. Well. <laughs> uh, but thank you for being here. We want to talk about this book. Yes. Um... And I think the first thing to talk about is why you are here. Yes. Because <laughs> you are, like, you brought this book to the people because of your relationship with Loretta, Marty's right. widow.
0: Yes, who was a big Largo kind of. Um, she was one of our biggest supporters from the beginning. And I met her the second day I opened Largo. She walked in uh, to see a show and she was with uh, two very gay men. And. I, I just, and she was dressed like a crazy Arabian, like she had a headband and I was like, who the hell is this nut job? And then I kind of made fun of her and she said, Feldman. And I said, I, yes. <laughs> and she goes, I should be on some sort of a list, I'm sure. Oh and I said, I'm sure you are. And I said, "It's a pity you're not Marty Feldman because he would just be able to walk in." And then she goes, "I'm his widow." And well, I had, "Why
1: did you pull?" It
0: was only Marty Feldman, Feldman I knew. It was the only I didn't. Say, I could have said Corey. That's I could have so said funny. just as easy as right you exactly. Know. And she and she kind of looked at me like and and uh, and so then afterwards she came up and and I said, "Hey, listen, I, I'm really sorry. I didn't. You know, I wasn't trying to make fun." And it was ten days. It was ten years to the day Marty died. It was December.
1: What was she doing? And she just at wanted. She,
0: she was at home, and two of her gay friends said. There's a show at this new place, we gotta go. We'll see if we can get in. And That's you say that you're areas. you say that you're Loretta Feldman, you'll get us in. <laughs> and so they showed up. And it, and so I met her ten years after Marty died and we became very good friends. She died five years ago and I took care of her while she was ill. She had uh cancer mm-hmm. and and stuff. But we were really great friends and she Marty died tragically in Mexico in 1982. Very young. Very young, I mean, 48.
1: This is all. There's this great introduction, uh, this forward by Eric Idle, right. who kind of talks about what Marty meant to him as a friend, right. and then also about the circumstances of his death. Right.
0: And the thing that, that Eric didn't talk about, which is fascinating for everyone like that is a Monty Python fan, is Eric did his first ever TV show on, at last, the 1948 show, and it was Marty oh, who wow. said... Get that guy on. So it was John Cleese, Graham Chapman, mm-hmm. all before Python. And Eric was on the movie Yellowbeard that when Marty died. Right. And what he didn't talk about, he told me afterwards, which was I thought was fascinating, Marty stuck around an extra couple of days in case they needed any pickup shots. So he was done.
1: Yeah.
0: His wife flew home to get things ready for Christmas because he died on December third, 2nd. And Eric went on to Australia to book a tour for Marty and Eric to do a show, a variety yeah. show. And got the news in Sydney that Marty had died, and he thought it was a joke, because the set of Yellowbeard was apparently nonstop maniacs, you know. (laughs) Cheech and Chong, David Bowie, (laughs) Harry Nilsson, like that, party people, you know. (laughs) And so anyway, that was... And so anyway, Loretta, you know, over the years, I I, I asked her for a photograph for the menu cover of Largo for Marty, and I was very kind of like, you know, I loved her, and it was very... um, Our relationship was like, I would let her talk about things, but I wouldn't pry, and then after a few years, she would just like... The more I got to know Marty, I saw his TV show as a kid, and then I didn't see Young Frankenstein until I was in my thirties. But
1: well, that's the thing I want to talk about, and I apologize I'll Mm -hmm. interrupt you a bunch of times because I want to sort of dig in on some of the stuff. But you know, growing up in America, I think we know Marty from the Mel Brooks movies, pretty much. Like it's primarily where we know Mm -hmm. his face, which and that face, dear God, yeah, exactly. (laughs) He makes great hay of it in the book, which is great face for radio, yeah. Um, But, you know, he was much more prevalent in England. I mean, as a writer and as a comedian and as an actor. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you talk about Eric Idle booking the store. They had known each other for 40 years, 30 years at at that that point. point. Yeah,
0: well, less because he was, it's harder for us to think that he was so young, but he was 48 when he died. That's right. And, and, but I was going to say that Loretta knew that, like, so towards the end, Marty had a movie that came out and it didn't do terribly well and then he went back to writing and so he was writing this book up until he went away and she knew that he was writing because he'd come into the kitchen and go, what the hell was that guy's name and blah, blah, blah (laughs) but also Marty was very modest so the reason we don't know much beyond the Mel Brooks thing here is because he never really went out and promoted himself. Hmm. You know, He went on The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson said to him, "There's talk about an Oscar nomination for Young Frankenstein." He goes, "That's lovely, dear. I'm just here because I want people to know that I need work." <laughs> and he did that on the Tonight yeah, Show, and his agent amazing. backstage was horrified. That's
1: absolutely the Marty that comes through. Yeah, does, yeah. Blog. And like you said, I mean, you have in in your introduction that right. there's no there's no messing with it. It's right. exactly it's, as he wrote. Yeah,
0: the, the English Times called it an unghosted memorist, which is <laughs> you know very you know. I love John Cleese's book, and I love other people's mm-hmm. book, but you can detect was help made and of this course. is just this uh, there was a choice made that i just said if it's going to come out it has i had to go to a publisher that would not touch any of the mm-hmm. words and just have it as is and, and that's this, what it is it's
1: such a pure uh, presentation of yeah, him it's almost I like mean, i'm talking like you to you know
0: yeah that's a good that's what that's what i hope and i also hope that that people would go back and check which we'll talk about his earlier works mm-hmm. and stuff and and this is one of those things that, like, you'll know the eyes, the, the eyes will draw you in, and then maybe even Young Frankenstein, and then you go back and watch his TV shows, his mm-hmm. writing and stuff, so that's amazing. But anyway, his wife knew he was writing, and she said to me, like, you know, his book's up, there's, there's books up there, but not alone was this book in a box, there's 15 scripts that are unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Um, and so he
1: really was writing full like, on those, those type I
0: have his typewriter with the M.F. initials on it and stuff, yeah. and cigarette burns all over it, but he was <laughs> nonstop, and people, like she said, he wrote day and night, he would wake up in the middle of the night, have an idea, and then he would never go back to bed. Huh? Just coffee, cigarettes, and reading you know writing. so, but so anyway she but the reason that she didn't she, so the, the reason the book happened was she said, "Look, his autobiography's up there, and he was working on it, and she goes, "I saw it, and I didn't read it." because I don't want to know anything I didn't want to know. And, and then, which is the tragic thing for me, because it's the half of the book, the second half is a love story oh, to her. It's, you know? it's, it's
1: an enormous love life. I know. I mean, and so she he, never he got spends, to... <laughs> we should say, it, like, there's great stuff about growing up and all that. Right. But when you get to 60s London and working for BBC and all right. this stuff, right. uh, he's having these wild times. Yeah. And then Loretta comes in. And he becomes this grounded guy. Yeah, He was amazing.
0: Really funny. Yeah, and he he described in a son interview... Like he found an anchor. Yeah, that's exactly what he said in an interview for, um, I think it was Penthouse or one of these things, before he died, he said that he lived life and then he was born when he met Loretta. That's that's lovely. Yeah, so... but um, And, you know, she was a driving force, too. She produced a couple of uh, his stuff, and she was very instrumental in getting the Pythons together as well. It was her... Mm That reached out to Terry Gilliam to come from America to do Marty's TV yeah. show before Python.
1: That's really neat. so
0: he had a show called the the Comedy Machine, the Marty Feldman Comedy Machine, and Terry Gilliam did all the opening sequences. And then that was in the works. So this other show that Marty, his first ever TV show, was called at Last the 1948 Show, which was John Cleese, uh, Graham Chapman, Tim Brooke Taylor, and Marty, and it was Marty's first. Thing and he was a huge writer and they were like you should do it yeah and David Frost said which is in the book
1: yeah which that I, I love this bit
0: he, it's his eyes are too grotesque for the public and then they tested the pilot and it was like through the roof Marty wanted the star. more of him yeah more of him exactly and he was just a bit player but but that show um, Terry Gilliam did the you know the oh. graphics for it and yeah. and it's all available you can see it on YouTube and. For years, which is this is really funny. I was going to tell you that for years um, they were missing the pilot episode and the last episode. Hmm. So they did two seasons. And when I found the book, I found film of the. So I give it to John Cleese, and now they're going to release the whole series. But they were missing the pilot, and it was in Marty's roof uh, attic for for forty years. Of course, it was (laughs) among other things. (laughs)
1: um, What was your? I mean. I think for a lot of young people here, we couldn't pull the name. Right. You know, when we hear Feldman, yes. like you say, it's, we don't go to right. Marty Feldman. Well,
0: and then the thing is that anyone, so I'm 50, anyone um, my age or definitely older than me, Marty, there was two channels, when you grew up in the British Isles, because I was Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. there were two channels on mm-hmm. TV, and one of them was BBC One, and then years later there was BBC Two, and ITV. So ITV right. was the competition. And Marty had two TV shows called just called It's Marty. And they were the biggest thing. And it was before Python. Mm-hmm. It was six, were they sketch six, eight, shows? Sketch shows. And uh, the writers were Graham Chapman, you know, all the guys from Python. Yeah. And, but primarily Marty was the writer with his writing partner, Barry Took, who he mm-hmm. did Round the Horn with. And um, this thing was after the 1948 show and became an overnight sensation. And like everybody just went, oh, okay. Huh. So that's a Beatles kind of thing. Cause he yeah. couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And, um, and they would show it and, and then people would just like in the streets would quote some of the lines from the sketches. And so it was one of those things that like, and again, there was only just a little bit of radio radio was dominant then, but like very little TV. So those things made a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And then for Christmas time and for years afterwards, they would sh- rerun the series. Hmm. And so as a kid growing up, that's the only Marty that I knew. Mm -hmm. But there was also horribly bad fucking TV over there, like Benny Hill, which is funny (laughs) for you. But as a kid over there, it was like, come on, are you fucking kidding? And so his thing came through with this intelligent writing and like making fun of the Church of England and all this stuff. So it was a very, he had a great sense of anarchy about it. So anyone that had a different mind would be like, almost like the nerds, the nerdist thing that like, you know, people have a, a view on it. And it's like there was a collective
1: and, and the it collective really is, i mean yeah it 's it 's sort of if, if you like python yeah it 's the tone of that stuff, of, and honestly, but it 's filtered through writing
0: and people don 't know I mean people love Python and stuff, but they don 't know the connection at all, and then he mm-hmm. never he never touted it, no he loved those guys, and mm-hmm. Eric in the book, and even Terry Jones recently said that uh, when they came to do the Hollywood Bowl and all these shows, Marty would have parties for them, mm-hmm. would introduce them to anyone that he knew to try and help them get their careers yeah. further on and stuff. So he was very supportive, but never really touted that he was instrumental he, in their, uh, he, you know.
1: Uh, he downplays everything. Yeah. Which I think is. Which is lovely. I, I mean, think. It's, it's, again, it's so his character, it's right. so his personality yeah. that comes through in this. But yeah. he says. Like you say, people yelling out lines or saying his name right. in the street. And he says, it happened once or twice. Right. It had to have happened all the She's, time. Because he's unmistakable.
0: Loretta said they would go to the airport and it would be, the, 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 yeah. the flight attendants would do it. The people at the, the you know, at the duty-free store. Of course. And, and then also Marty was like very shy, but people would just approach him in a way that like is similar to like Jack Black or mm-hmm. some of the comedians that are more physical here. Mm-hmm. That they felt like they could touch him. Whereas John Funny. Cleese would be so tall that people would be right. like, okay. Well, very intellectual, yes. right? And even as goofy as he would get, but yeah. people would be standoffish from him, and he was standoffish, but Marty was just, like, hugging everybody, and huh. and after a while, that wore itself out, I think, you know.
1: Well, there is, I mean, even in the movies that we all know right. some of the later stuff, he, there's such a warmth yeah. there. That's the fascinating thing, because, so, as
0: I said, I didn't see Young Frankenstein until, you know, when I first moved mm. here, and and it was kind of... I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is great. This is black and white and all that stuff. And I didn't really know much about Mel Brooks, but reading Marty's account of the movie and the fact that, like, the first scene he ever did, he was knocking on the door as Igor and an actual earthquake struck in L.A. Oh my God. And everyone was running for cover. And he thought it was part of the right. whole thing. And it, then he also thought, no, 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 they're, they're winding up the new guy. So I know what this is, and shit was falling around him, and he's knocking and knocking, and people are like, and finally Mel like, "We shouted cut twenty minutes ago, Marty," and you know, so all that stuff in the book is like I think is fantastic, and then also when he later was doing his own movie about God and uh, and the evangelical movie was called mm-hmm. In God We Trust, John Lennon and him had a conversation, and he said that John Lennon was just quoting his TV show to him. And he said That's he would drive hilarious. Yoko Ono crazy. Well, right, it's right? like
1: you say, I mean, everybody grew up on yeah, it because yeah. there wasn't that much stuff. Right, there and wasn't. And it really broke through. And there certainly
0: wasn't any quality, not in, there were, there were quality, but there wasn't that much quality stuff. So anything that had that bite to it, like, you know, or the left of center thing, people really gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. And it was the late 60s. Right. So. Right.
1: Anything a little subversive, anything daring.
0: different. Yeah. 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 Something daring. That's, that and Marty, you know, it. also, it's not in the book, but maybe, yeah, it is actually in the book. I haven't read it in a while. <laughs> um, I, I finished putting it together about three years ago. But there was a huge trial in England which about a censorship thing for Oz magazine, which was like a very political, lefty-lefty paper. And Marty went to court and testified on their behalf out of the blue. And they were like, what? Interesting." And because of him... They changed the censorship laws in England so there's all this stuff like you know that I didn't I had no idea I had no idea that he had I was wondering why he had such a big gay following and I thought that has to be Loretta because she just mm-hmm. loved you know <laughs> and it wasn't it was because this show uh, round the horn that he did which was the longest running uh, radio show and it was a mm-hmm. weekly thing they had two gay gar- characters that Marty wrote called Julian and Sandy and that became um, just a total gathering place for gay people to come see it live at the Paris Theatre in London and, and stuff so and that just mm-hmm. through his career followed him everybody sure. followed him you know So,
1: sure. uh, let's talk about that Round the Horn which he makes it's sort of the first the first big hallmark right in the book of him finding success right
0: well, in the early days, he was doing the, the music hall circuit mm-hmm. and trying to make his way. And Which was,
1: is so foreign to us. I know. It's so interesting.
0: Oh, my God. Like going off with a couple who do some sort of yeah. weird variety act, and then they end up trying to molest him. And that's all yeah. in there. I Over mean, a
1: period of weeks. <laughs> weeks. They take him with them, And he oh tells his God. mom, I'm off. I've
0: made it. I'm yeah. going to meet this couple that we're going to do shows. And then first night, they're in a tent or something. And oh. it's just horrible. First Back the wife, the then the husband. Yeah. Go after him. And, it's then, insane. and then so but the funny thing is then he got when he finally got writing and confident and, and stuff. Well he he was a published poet at the age of fifteen and met Dylan Thomas Which and is he crazy. had yeah, Dylan Thomas introduced him to an editor and they published him. And then Marty, somebody Loretta told me years later that somebody when he was a kid said something like they're pretentious or whatever, and he completely backed off. But he had a deal wow. to write poems. And he was like, I think I need to be funny. That's hmm. my angle. And so when he started writing, he was writing for radio shows. And they were like, you know, the Ventriloquist show, um, the Army Game, and all these radio mm-hmm. shows. And he became extremely busy. And then Round the Horn hit. And he thought it was just another another radio show. And then they were doing it live. And so that's Ma- really, really Marty would sit right? in the front row of this yeah. theater, and they would read his words, and people would be dying laughing. Yeah. And it was his first exposure to the live thing. And then it's the reason that he did... Around the horn further than it was because he wanted to see that live thing and watch these professionals like Kenneth Williams and see their timing and everything else. Mm -hmm. And after that, which I didn't know again in the book, is Marty would do tours of doing Mm -hmm. his sketches, doing monologues, doing anything, and he would just there was no downtime. He would just be like, "I'll write on the road, and then I'll come back and direct something." And so he was always busy and writing and stuff.
1: And so and clearly loved it. Like loved obviously it. loved the work, loved being part of it, right. loved the whole process. which And then is also, really a great lesson, I think.
0: yeah, it is a great lesson. The other thing that I found was he didn't just write scripts that I found in the attic. It was like synopsises, or here's an idea for a TV show. Hmm. And in 19, I found one that is from 1971 that he wrote, <laughs> wow. and it's pretty much more and Mindy. Where marty plays a, where Marty plays a guy that escapes from a mad scientist 's lab and he turns out that he 's an alien, and the scientist had figured out how to get him as a sperm from outer his race. and then he 's adapted into a normal household and they're right. all lefties and like, hey man, we take you in. And, and the script is fantastic. That's it's absolutely great. fantastic. So that'll see the light of day too maybe through is, I set up this uh, website called com and we're putting <laughs> up all his films, all his it's TV E-Y-E. shows. EYE, marty.com. <laughs> but we're putting up stuff for free with no ads. <laughs> and, yeah, so like you had a bunch of videos. Up, yeah, which is and, and both it's his movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, full yeah. movies and until somebody asks us to take them down. But, <laughs> sure. but a lot of stuff is on YouTube anyway and I just thought, you know, they're his and People should see them.
1: All I have is what's in there, yeah? That belongs to me. Um, The thing to do is to keep people out of it. Well, unless you invite them in, I'm inviting you in. Fine. But that's, as a guest, you can come into my head. Uh, But my head is private, it belongs to me. I must fight to keep control of what's in there and not let other people get inside it and march all over it, you know? Um, So that's the reason, really, um... That I write for me it isn't serious, you know, you write because you think it's funny, you know, and it isn't a business, you know, the business is something else, you know, business is something your agent organizes afterwards. You started out as a writer. I am still a writer. Um, I want a trade to fall back on when my looks go. I think that's...
0: But I'm also going to put... All his writings, all his scripts, and so for people that are real nerds, on the, <laughs> <laughs> that if you like the book, there'll be a lot more stuff. But these scripts are fascinating.
1: I think that would be. I mean, I want to give you this something Clint,
0: because it's just even as a writer, it's those. like, holy god, look at this guy, you know.
1: I think that it, I mean, looking at that stuff from someone who's creating it with no outlet in mind right, right? no studio right. no nothing no deadline right He's just creating it to create yeah and then he I would look at other really stuff on
0: tv time. his big thing that um, his wife told me was that he would look at stuff on tv and go this is a great idea but so badly executed mm. and then would go if i was to do that and then so he would write oh, a thing on an already right. existing and one right. of them one of them was barney miller he and wrote a Barney Miller no, 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 no. that he, didn't... Yeah, it, exactly. But the funniest thing was years like for later... for himself? Huh? For himself. And then so oh in 1975 God. after Young Frankenstein he was at I think he was doing Silent Movie and he met this writer called Theodore Flicker who became Ted Flicker who wrote Barney Miller. <laughs> and he heard, I heard that you said that we could have... And he goes, you know that it, after I wrote the first pilot thing it was bastardized and every executive had to have their say. And he goes, no, 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 I understand that darling. And so then the <laughs> two of them In a two week period wrote a full script that was never seen. It's called The Adventures of El Boco. And it's a beautiful script. That's it's a, amazing. Yeah, and so and then he would do that. He would he set himself exercises of who do I really want to work with? Who do I like? And then he would just. So that's a lesson to people hear. It's like, I mean, obviously he had the platform of fame, and, and especially Young Frankenstein.
1: But you see that even in the earlier yeah. chapters of him saying, "I think this guy is great. I love what he does," and the other big, his writing partner, right? Or put him on the big, show. Yes, exactly. About.
0: He would and that he would drag people in like that and he, a very like, for example, his. Andy Kaufman had never done a movie, and Marty wrote "In God We Trust" and cast him as the evangelical leader, but oh. more risky. Richard Pryor is God. Oh wow! And so I in didn't this movie, Richard that. Pryor plays. God. So you can oh. see it on IMarty.com. Mm-hmm. The whole movie, and it's beautifully shot. But both his movies, Universal, were very insecure because they were like tackling issues, and they had it recut without him, and he was so upset about that. But sure. but you know, but these these fascinating things of him, like. But the other one is like the early years. I find the early years of his book, like for anyone that's into writing or performing, is so inspiring. Because once he had the idea of writing gags and jokes, he Mm -hmm. saw this legendary um, performer called Danny Kaye at the Palladium. And he was 11. And he went, that's exactly what I need to be in. Whatever this guy's doing, Mm -hmm. that's what I need to do. And then years later, after he became a poet and decided I need a funny thing, he would line up outside the backstage door of the Palladium and try and give them jokes any performer yes, right. any performer coming or going <laughs> and then finally they were like yeah we'll use this right. and so this weirdo with an eye would just stand <laughs> out there with like you know and they were like oh take it from him just get rid of him and so but he, knowing that he was so modest and polite he would just stand there and mm-hmm. almost wait for them to go what do you want Yes. and so Loretta said that was the ironic thing was everyone that was really pushy people would push them out of the side but with right. Marty it was either the eye or his kind of <laughs> calm kind of like I think I should be here mm-hmm. got him into it but again it's a lesson that he never stopped writing and a lot of that stuff was discarded and, and he just moved forward just kept moving forward like Miles Davis it was just like yeah. you know, I know I'm not listening he back i Miles just, Davis yeah. a lot he talks and, that about was, Danny and jazz was a huge thing for yeah. him but he loved the idea of live jazz because it was people riffing and really listening to mm-hmm. each other and that's what Round the Horn was Round the yeah, Horn would be five performers in front of two microphones much like the Great Thrilling Adventure are, sure. where they would, say, well, would no, but it was two guys writing. It's very when, when his widow came to see Thrilling Adventure, and I, I thought I introduced you to him to her, but she, she was just like, oh, this is unbelievable because the line was out the door, and it was like this is just, <laughs> just that vibe, and and but anyway, it was you know it was that, and he would throw things, and then if Kenneth Williams said, I think I would say this, he goes, mm-hmm. yes, you will, you say that, right? Um, where at the time there was a very unionized thing at the BBC, and you were like, if the writer writes, right. you say.
1: But he and Marty was the one of those guys. It was just
0: like, "Yep, we're riffing. Let's yeah. do it." You know, so that that comes across too.
1: That's really cool. Um, I want to talk just about some of the sort of technical things. Of, yeah, like finding this book, and then how? What do you do next? Because okay, you want to so put it
0: out in that, the world. That's funny. So Loretta had said to me, "With any uh, of his writings, if you find them interesting, and listen, by the way, I had no game plan to be in the Marty <laughs> Feldman business, even though I knew that she was leaving everything to me." Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't financially a lot it was a house that she was in debt to and and Mm -hmm. stuff but beautiful house and everything else but I never thought too much about his writings and stuff and it was six months after she died before they were renovating the house and you know that I found the boxes mm-hmm. and stuff and I read it and so when I read this I was sitting on a, uh, I think I said it in the introduction but I just grabbed a pot of tea sat outside in the garden while they, these construction guys were banging and banging <laughs> and I read this thing and I think it's 180 pages I have the original thing with, and the original thing was in a box and it said i Marty EYE with a small e at the <laughs> front and I was like I did, it didn't even occur to me this would be an autobiography so I thought it was a script and then I looked at these notes that were like insert photo of Loretta here, insert photo of Spike Milligan yeah. here, um, and it was beautifully typed, and it was second draft. And then I found a first draft. So anyway, I read it, and it really moved me. I was like, "God, this is amazing." Well, that's and interesting. I didn't realize there
1: were multiple drafts.
0: At that yeah, point. well, he even said at the beginning, "It was this is the second draft, or the, hopefully the final." And he was right. it was a work in progress. Clearly, even though he wraps it up in such a weird way that you feel like he finished it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but but. I mean, it it doesn't feel
1: like notes. Right. It feels like a complete thing, and it feels like it's somewhere between.
0: Right. There are also things that I noticed after I read it, which is kind of interesting. And then having known friends that do interviews and have kind of become famous. There are things in this that he has said to interviewers Mm -hmm. verbatim. Sure, of course. My eyes are my comic equipment. Mm -hmm. I'm the right job for a comedian, not for a 747 pilot (laughs) and stuff. And he would say this. So those things end up in the book. But so obviously he had that. Mm -hmm. He'd done so many damn interviews. I mean, I have boxes of his mother sent over to Loretta after he died. Scrapbooks and books. she kept every oh, article, goodness. and he became like paparazzi in the 70s in England. <laughs> and so, all this stuff like about her getting a DUI and it was in the papers, it was a daily oh. thing in the Daily Mail, it's oh. really fantastic. And um, but also, the thing that so I read it, and I just it was really profound. I thought, I'm gonna put this together with the photographs and mm-hmm. see what it looks like. And then um, I, I had known Eric Idle for a while, and I said, Hey, Eric, would you be interested in reading this? And he goes, He, he was our mentor, he this hmm. guy literally was our mentor. Dang. And I'd love to read it. And he read it, like, so fa- called Like me, read it in one go, called me very emotional. And Eric was about to turn 70, and Marty was a little bit older than him. But, like... He that moment of like he died at forty eight. What yeah. the hell would he be doing now? Yeah, you know. And we were both talking about the Peter Jackson name checked him, saying that he would have been the star of Lord of the Rings, like huh. if there was because they said who are people that are not around that you would have and he mentioned Marty oh, that's and funny. and I can actually see that and on, on Google Images people have put his eyes on on <laughs> the different God, characters I... and stuff. But but so what I think that was Eric was like this this don't put this on the internet. This has to be a book. Hmm. It's beautiful. So then I put the cover together, put the whole thing, and then I. Went to a bunch of different. I went to an agent that like set up different things, and I went to different people. and Some people offered a lot of money and really wanted to do it, but they really wanted to tighten it, as they Mm -hmm. said. And I said, No, there's no tightening. (laughs) So finally, um, this. And why why for you was that important? Because I figured if it's going to go out, there was also, after I read it, uh, quite weirdly, about four months later, there was another book came out about Marty, and it was a biography. Mm -hmm. And it was very strange because it had so many things wrong in it, including his. Date of birth. So I, really, yeah, I put the, his birth certificate in there. But it was one of those things <laughs> okay. that I thought that it, this is Marty. So why, if he's not around to edit it, who the hell else could edit it? And the only other person I thought could edit it or do a job was, was his writing partner Barry Took. Mm-hmm. But again, was Barry still around? He wasn't around. So oh, I just okay. thought, well, and so then I met this great publisher um, from Hodder and Stockton, and by phone and by mm-hmm. through the agent. Uh, called Mark Booth, and he was like, Darling, I, he, and he's the same age roughly as Marty. Oh, fantastic. And so knew so he, everything. Yeah. he grown up with him. Yeah. And actually lost trace of him going to America. Like it was just round the hmm. horn, this TV right. show, the 48 show. And he totally got it and said, No, it has to go out without any apology. Hmm. He says, You can mention, that in your forward, you do mention that it's untouched. That's oh. enough.
1: Absolutely, And so
0: that's what people have responded to in Britain. It's just like the reviews are amazing, but it's all like we feel, like you said, we feel like he's talking to us, that it was just unfiltered. And and it's great because I think that in a way I've worked with a lot of performers that will play me a song and I'll go, wow. And then they'll go into the studio Mm -hmm. and come back with this thing that is like, where'd your song go? Mm -hmm. And so maybe if Marty had been around and, you know, got back to it, his perspective would have changed, or mm-hmm. he would have been less optimistic. Who knows? Yeah,
1: there's something very pure about
0: it. Yeah, and the ending is very, in a weird way, very sad but very optimistic about his grounding in life and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I thought that should go out unfiltered, and so they did. And so in the American That's version it's the same thing, just a few different photos. But um, it was the nurt- nurturing of that publisher in particular that was that, that he was just fantastic. And then Fiona... And Ruby, the girls that work in that thing, were just like, let's try and get every photograph, the rights to it. Mm-hmm. And they have a different system in England where they don't have due diligence. So some of these photographs are 70 years old. And if you can't find the person that took the photograph, they're not going to publish it. Because right. somebody will come out of the woodwork and get after them. So mm-hmm. they did everything they could to do that. So with America, we've, we've rectified that with the other photographs. But some of these photos are incredible. And, and, and you know there riot. are literally 15,000 Google images of Marty Feldman. And <laughs> none of the photographs in this book have been seen. <laughs> That's incredible. They're all from his private collection, and he had them. And from his mother, which is well, no, but the the mother came after he died. That's amazing. So the ones, so in the box, it said "I'm Marty" on this cardboard box, and then there was the script, and it was 180 pages, and then underneath that, neatly were the photographs that he wanted to go in there. So I was like, "This is so easy." So how it happened too was I sent my family on a trip to Seattle. They wanted to do a road trip, and I went to to Hawaii and took two boxes with me <laughs> and went, okay, this is, before I put the, this is when I put the book together, mm-hmm. before Eric Idle. And I was sitting on the balcony of my hotel and I had it all lined up and I ordered room <laughs> service. And this is amazing. This is <laughs> really hilarious. fantastic. Sitting there, had it all lined up, the photographs one side, okay, this, and his little, uh, what do you call those little post-its, you know, mm-hmm. saying photo of Loretta and the doorbell rings. Uh, you know, and it's the room service. And I opened the door, and sixty-two pages flew off the balcony. <laughs> and by the way, there's oh no oh it, at nine o'clock at night in Hawaii it was dark. There was no numbers in these pages. He, he the book starts with begin, and it ends. He doesn't. There's no pages. And so I went down to the concierge, and we spent two hours in the gardens. And the, by the, one, went into the swimming pool, and I ended up missing oh six, lost six God. pages. And three days later, room service found the other six pages in the balcony of a room that wasn't occupied. (laughs) It had gone down the building. But but the thing without those six pages, one of them was him talking about um, a very important young Frankenstein thing. And I, could, I couldn't have put the book out without these six pages. Yeah. I can't write this shit. <laughs> so so this weird thing I sat in an attic for thirty years. I take it to Hawaii and it tries to fly away. You nearly so, destroy it. You nearly destroy it. So so the so it became That's you know hilarious. this kind of almost another one was like I, I brought it back and I was working um, on it and my son who was two at the time came running over to give me a hug and my cup of tea spilled all over six pages or, or, or sixty pages another like right. a third of the book. Jeez. And I was frantically drying it, my wife was dry you know it was like so so it, it it is definitely like Marty himself with his physicality it, it's, yeah, right. it's uh, endured the <laughs> the the forces of, of whatever you know
1: uh but i love i mean you get this image knowing that he had specific photos he wanted in specific places, right you get this image of him putting this together, yeah. Uh, so vividly, right? That like bringing forward these memories and finding mm-hmm. the photo, and I love the running to Loretta and saying, "What was the, what guy? was the guy's name?" Oh, and, okay. and you know, the funny thing,
0: I was there was one thing I was going to do was I did do sorry, which was mm-hmm. there was a few times like every time he says "I," like I did this or his "I," mm-hmm. it was the same spelling: small e, big Y, big E, the whole way through the book. That's so funny. And every time we tried to transfer, it, I, I worked with this uh, Link Defer, Lincoln Defer, who mm-hmm. is a graphic person who did, who put, helped put the whole thing together. When we would transfer it, it would always correct that every single <laughs> okay. time, and we were like, "Shit!" Every page there's tiny eyes, <laughs> you know. But it was also a thing that it was a good lesson in kind of maintaining the integrity of it. But there was a couple of misspellings mm-hmm. and stuff. Sure. There was also a temptation to put in brackets to say who the hell he was talking mm-hmm. about, and then the publisher was like. I yeah. googled names. I love that. Let it's people Google there. names. I don't know it half these fuckers. you
1: in yeah. The and world. the
0: Barney Miller guy, by the way, I had to go and Google him to see if he even was real. Funny. There's a character in the book that Marty talks about, which is a fantastic passage where he goes to Belfast and he's doing the. He has a, a trio called Marty, Mitch, and mm-hmm. Morris, Mitch and Marty or something, yeah. whatever it is. And uh, they were a travelling variety show that did the horrible music hall circuit. Mm-hmm. And people would throw things at them, and they would fill time and, and stuff. But they went to Belfast, and they got some sort of a small money gig. And they were hired by this, he, he seemed like a Tony Soprano kind of mug guy, kind of guy. And they t- he told them to wait for them, and he was collecting money off somebody. And the, the person who was collecting money didn't have the money. And so this guy threw this character out a window and killed him. Yeah. Next to Marty, standing there. And they were waiting to be paid. And it was a profound thing but it was like he just dis- he describes it so matter-of-factly that it's mm-hmm. not funny and i googled to see if that guy was i thought this has to be right he, did he make this up and the guy totally existed he was a horse guy in in belfast oh my and God. You know, and so with the power of Google, I was able to go,
1: okay, who the hell is he talking right. about here? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, especially in those early chapters, yeah. there's just name after name. But I, I think, think that's a beautiful... The world. Yeah,
0: it's almost like a Pollock thing or something. Like, everything he it's threw in the wall, you just go for the whole thing. Yeah. If you don't know the names, you go with it, but... Yeah,
1: you either, like, they'll either come back and be explained right. or not. And right. it's just, I mean, that's how he was living in the yeah. world, which is...
0: And then his Gene, cool. uh, meeting Gene Wilder and his interaction with Mel and Gene. Mm-hmm. The other great thing was, like, Mel gave a quote in the book. Or not, uh, uh, Marty said that when he first met mm-hmm. Mel, he was dealing with Gene Wilder, and it was Gene Wilder's Consistent. agent that Gene had written this idea. And there was two stories, and Gene said that he wanted to do something with Frankenstein. He was kind of like I, I, the bride of Frankenstein, the other Frankenstein, the other Frankenstein. He didn't feel he wanted one with a better ending, a happier hmm. ending, almost like Marty doing, like, That's I could fine. rewrite this and then his agent called him and he had called his agent the week before and said I saw this guy on TV last night and it was Marty and um, he said with a crazy eye and I just I can't get him out of my head and his show was fantastic and it was the the comedy machine which this TV was his first American TV show before Young Frankenstein it was uh, directed by Larry Gelbart from MASH and written with him by Barry Levinson
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I'm just getting to that part. And so yeah,
0: and so um, Randy Newman did his first ever TV appearance yeah, on it, and people that it's crazy. phenomenal, and it's pretty much. And so all of that's coming out on DVD in March, but it's also oh, on oh. YouTube. And but it's this fascinating thing of like the advice that Mel gave him when he first met Mel, and Mel was he agreed to direct the picture, and he had never directed anything he hadn't written, mm-hmm. so it was a big deal. And Mel says, Marty, I know you're a big star from where you came. I want to give you a little bit of advice just about Hollywood. There's a lot of assholes in Hollywood. There's a bunch of good people. Only work with the good people. (laughs) And so until Marty died, he did, uh, the first movie was Young Frankenstein, the second one was Silent Movie, Mm -hmm. which was all his heroes, Sid Caesar, you know Zero Mostel all these guys and you know the third one he did was um, the, the uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, uh, smarter brother with Gene mm-hmm. Wilder written and directed mm-hmm. and then he did I think s-
1: you, got, you have that on the website yeah. right because that you can't find that movie I no, looked it why I put it up. years ago well
0: you know on eBay a lot of these things that by the way don't buy anything of Marty on eBay because I'm putting everything up you want a <laughs> yeah. photograph copy the photograph um, but they're charging like $90 for a yeah. VHS of Sherlock Holmes and so I put the full print that Marty that's had great. up there um but it you know, until he died like Richard Pryor, all the people mm-hmm. he wanted to work with, he was like, If I'm gonna do this project, he played he had this very famous English he tried to get Robert Redford to do it. He talks in the book about um the last remake of Jest, playing his twin. And they both dyed their hair peroxide blonde. Robert Redford <laughs> couldn't do it because he was doing you know oh, Jeremiah fantastic. Johnson or something right. for two years, so we ended up getting this big American, or English actor called Michael York, who's very mm-hmm. proper and was like a big kind of heartthrob, and they played twins. But Peter Ustinov is in it, and Margaret's in it. Like it's that's all hilarious. the you know Henry Gibson's, in it, like all the people he loved, right. and that's what he did. He only worked with the people that he mm. wanted to work
1: with, which is again a great lesson. I mean, it's taken me ten years in this right. business to learn that. And also, when, when you the think about universe, some of these studios, like he wanted
0: Louise Lasser to play to mm-hmm. play his love interest in God We Trust, and they were like, you know, you should go with Terry Garr, she's proven from Hmm. Young Frankenstein, and he loved Terry, like, you know, And but he just went, no, that's who I wrote it for, and she said yes. Yeah. So it can happen, you know, it's less so now, but I mean, I think that Larry David and Woody Allen and different people have have kind of always picked up on that thing and just gone like, hey, if it doesn't work, we're not doing it.
1: One of the most important things in my life is music. I worked briefly as a jazz musician in my little teens. I used to hang about in Archer Street on Monday afternoons looking for work. I was a trumpet player. According to one well-known critic, the worst in the world. The other thing I kind of wanted to talk about with this, and this is a little bit more about you, Mm. I apologize, Mm. but you have, it feels like you are the right guy to have shepherded this book. Uh, Because I'm a bully? Because you're a bully. (laughs) No, you have a unique relationship and perspective on artists. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Um, where do you think that comes from for you? Um, I think it. I, it's hard to know. I, th- I think that,
0: you know, when I was a kid in Belfast, we moved around a bit. And then, I mean, in Ireland, we moved from Belfast. Like, and I met a lot of different people. But I would see people who could play guitar and sing. And, I mean, and really good-looking people. They had the whole package and they would just be like, nah, I don't want to go to England or America. I'm just happy to do, it. you know. I'd rather be hmm. a nurse or or whatever they were, you know, whatever job, civil servant job, and and use the performance as a love thing." So, I feel that I'm I'm able to see that people who are you know don't push the people who are not commercial, but like there's a room for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And um, there are definitely people who played at Largo over the years that like like John Bryan four people never came to see John Brown before he played Largo yeah. and he's the first to say this and he was very reticent to book but I just saw his talent playing with somebody else and I was like it's the classic Kevin Costner build and they will come <laughs> and, uh, and, and so when John would start to play that, was, that gave us, all of us a lot of confidence because people who never had a draw We would cross pollinate shows at Largo. So Amy Mann, who was well known, who John was producing, I said to her, "Why don't you come and do do a couple songs?" And people love playing with John because he knows every Mm -hmm. instrument and he can, or every you know. And so I think that's part of it, but also part of it that I know, I sense how hard it is. To, to go on stage as a performer. You know, mm-hmm. you and I can walk out there and for 20 seconds go, hey, wow. this is the show and it's great and blah, blah, blah. And we look into avoid and don't focus on anybody. Yeah. These people are getting up and talking about divorce, mm-hmm. about abortions, mm-hmm. about the most personal things in life. And so, any way that we can get them on there, it, it, you know, and yeah. I just love performers. I really do. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I love writers and performers because I kind of feel like, Through thick and thin, those are the people that are going to keep us floating, you know, Mm -hmm. with their observations and whatever. And as a kid, I saw this comedian called Billy Connolly, who's a legend. And in Belfast, things were fucking grim. And this guy was the only person. Van Morrison, who was from there, wouldn't play there. Hmm. People would play, and there was immediately a bomb scare, and they would cancel. Billy Connolly was fucking defiant, and he would come and do multiple nights and stand up there and make fun of everything. (laughs) And so through that, I was like... That there's some, I, I never thought yeah. that, because I, I went on to do like studies, psychology, and all sorts of shit but I didn't think that I was going to do this, it was just one of those things that this popped up and I went, yep, that's, hmm. that's. so next year it'll be 20 years of me doing Largo it's yeah and, um, and I feel that one of the things is just kind of like, I know my, my place, I, I can kind of get people up and then I disappear, like mm-hmm. you don't see me backstage a lot at certain shows no, you know, um, but for the right people, I'm back there uh-huh. You know, for Jenny Slate who has chronic di- diarrhea before a show, <laughs> which Gene Wilder had too. He would oh, literally, Lord, yeah. So I would, I'd be there <laughs> with extra tissues, is what I do. <laughs> or, or for Zach who would just, or Zach who, and Sarah Silverman, Zach Galifianakis mm-hmm. and Sarah Silverman, literally knowing they have a show for months, walk in the back door and go, "I have nothing," right? And I go, "Of course you do." And then we'd sit down and then they'd be scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And of course they have something, but they're just, you know, and that's the great thing about Largo is I've kind of cultivated this thing of we're trusting you because you're funny and -hmm. you have something and we're going to get it out of you, you motherfucker. Mm -hmm. So it's not a set list. You come on, people have done set list stuff, but they come on and they go, I've got a couple of ideas and try it out.
1: Yeah, and it feels like that's that's always been the way, which is really interesting because early on... It could have become just another comedy club, right?
0: right. Or well, another well, music no, club. No, absolutely. It could have come another Replay music club. It your set. It was, I done. talked about this before, but it, with the um, the music uh, thing, I tried to do something different because it was too... The old Argo was only only held 120 people, so it couldn't compete with some of the bigger venues. Yeah. So my unique was a thing tiny was... tiny stage. You t- totally tiny. And also very minimalistic in terms of PA system, but it didn't mm. need much because it was a small room. Right. But in, I couldn't compete with any of the other p- things. So what I would say to artists is... Don't do the hits. Mm-hmm. Do Try new songs. Try songs that never made a record. Do whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you want to do. And that became a thing, like, I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it because I didn't think that's not what happened. And so people like Michael Penn, great songwriters, Elliot Smith, mm-hmm. all these people thought that they had to play the record. And when Elliot would come in and go, I love the Kinks, I'm just going to do that, or I love Big Star, I'm going do right. six Big Star songs, it really freed them up. And then when they did do their own songs, there was a different approach because it was less pressure. Right. And so that's, even though it's moved into a bigger venue, that has kind of it's still there yeah.
1: for sure It's it's
0: a and also idea. I learned a lot you know getting back to the <clears throat> to Loretta but I learned a lot from her because she was the same with a lot of these talents you know mm-hmm. she also like there was a stage show of Round the Horn there was different things that she you know curated and, and kind of worked with forcefully and she was not to be fucked with like mm-hmm. she preserved everything about Marty but she I learned a lot from her in a sense of like she would throw parties and have people over and she would just have the right gatherings of people like mm-hmm. you know and and just letting people talk and just idea. And then, you know, at a dinner party, people would be, Well, you and I should do a show. Mm-hmm. And so if it was Greg Proops or Paul of Tompkins or John Bryan or Paul Thomas Anderson or Matt, you know, all these people that knew her, they would go regularly to her house for dinner. There was that thing of like, seeds have been sown. Sure. And so. He'll take care of it. Just, yeah. just go. You These know? sort
1: of unusual or unexpected
0: combination. Yeah. but we're, we all have something in common. Yeah, and so last night we did this show with this singer who's been performing at Largo for many years called Nika Costa, who mm-hmm. is fantastic, and she wanted a trick. She's always a funky, like she's really like a great entertainer, but she wanted to put on a gown and come and sing fantastic. with strings, uh-huh. and she was quite nervous about it, and it was. Within the first song, everyone in the room was standing clapping. Like, uh-huh. it was just... And it was very emotional. That's stunning. And I was very happy about it. Now she wants to do it on a regular basis. But things like that, she had never done it before. This is the place that mm-hmm. you can do that show. Mm-hmm. You can do anything that you haven't done before. You can do it. Yeah, you know, so. yeah there's
1: every, any night of the week. There's yeah. something really interesting going on.
0: It is funny because you and I have known each other for so long. And you know, there's, there's shows that you will come to or you that you... And then there's this whole other life of shows yeah. that all those people come to, <laughs> but like the thrilling adventure. There are many largos, yeah. But the <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins thrilling adventure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Silverman. Those are the shows that have kind of grounded the, the, that have paid sure. the rent, yeah. but also and it, created that have been a community there
1: since before you moved, right? Cornette. But, but you know,
0: but like have have made a <laughs> community from the old yeah. place. They still around and, and stuff. But there's other shows that come and go, and a great bunch of people who don't know us, really. And it's just fascinating to watch that and go, oh
1: yeah, it's a a theatre. Before we wrap up, is there stuff uh, coming up at Largo next year that you want to talk about? Uh, We're wrapping up all the Christmas stuff. Um, Stuff you're excited about?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about some of the shows that we have still going, but like um, Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch do an improv thing that is just so... I hear it's unbelievable crazy good <laughs> and then also another one that is a, I think it's a podcast I hope it is but it was but it's a live show from that has been in the east coast for so long Jenny Slate and Max Silvestri and Lear, uh, Gabe Lieb, Liebman um, mm-hmm. do Big Terrific and mm-hmm. it's coming in January it's sold out really fast but they're going to do a, a regular thing mm-hmm. too um so in in that sense and then it's just like the regular shows that you know
1: Do you have, is Improvised Shakespeare coming back?
0: Yeah, they're doing uh I think it's the first Monday of every month. So January, February sold out, but there's tickets for March 7th great. I think. Okay, good. Um but things like that I think are very they're it's so great. I wasn't always a fan of cuz there's like everything else, there's a lot more bad improv than there is good <laughs> improv. But in the hands of people you trust, it's yeah. fantastic. Oh, absolutely. You, know? so, you
1: get middle-ditch.
0: Yeah. You get schw- I mean, and Paul of are- Tompkins <laughs> shows Spontaneanation. Yeah. Um, Jesus, I don't know if I said that right. Um, <laughs> you actually But did. again, it was one of those things where he came to me, and he's one of my favorite stand-ups ever. Yeah. And I keep waiting for him to go, I want to do that. And then he comes to me with this. And I was like, <laughs> so I sat with him, and I was like, okay, well, we did Varietopia, and I loved that. It was a full-on variety yeah. show, but was so much work for him. Um, when he came to me, this I was like, "Okay, because it's you, we're going to do improv," and it has become fantastic. Yeah, really.
1: I love the fans are all coming out, and it's always yeah. a fun show.
0: Yeah, and also he's cross-pollinated beautifully with thrilling adventure, well, sure. which is such a staple of, of our lives. But he's using those people, yeah. and they're so fucking we talented. So many great improvisers yeah. who
1: were stuck saying our stupid words. Yeah. So now they actually. But get in to 2016,
0: be great. <laughs> I want at least two or three beyond beliefs. Oh boy. Yeah, so no, we gotta get no on pressure.
1: That. All right, the book is I'mardy E Y E, it and uh, it's coming out in America on
0: Rare Bird. Yes. Uh literature, and, uh, and you can get it through Amazon. I think
1: you said you can pre-order it now.
0: Yeah, and and a friend of mine just
1: ordered it on Amazon.uk and got it within a week. Well, and you so. like I said, I got this copy from regular Amazon US. And oh, you did? It must have come from England. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. So Excellent. you can you can get it now. It's a and great it's only twenty dollars or something for I think, comedy you know? fans. Yeah, it is. It's it's a great book. For people who are fans of television, of writing, it's a great book, which is why I wanted right. to have you on to talk about it, because it is such a a pure look at a time that uh, so many of us don't know about, right. but that was so recent.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, um, I asked uh, Eddie Izzard, because he's a big Marty fan, mm-hmm. for a quote, and he, now, this is just a non-nerd in me, but like, <laughs> he gave the quote, like, did I send you the quote that he no. sent? So he said that if... Um, you can read this after it, you can put it on the the Eddie Ezra's quote, pretty much if Monty Python are the um, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, he names the five, I don't even know who these people are that Marty Marty Feldman is their Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's great. And so that's beautiful. Listen, this audience will get it. That's what I know, (laughs) they will get it and we'll print it up on your site if you want. That's really lovely. But also I wanted to say that the other kind of driving force for doing it was all proceeds of the book go to um, this charity called the Littlest Tumor Foundation. And um, because the book is cheap, if people kind of look up this, it's kids with tumors and they're not getting funded by the government for research. So there's a big driving force to get this money out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving all the money that's made from this um,
1: to that. And it's that's a good great. cause. So That's yeah. really great. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I have several people I'm going to give this I'm to Marty? for Christmas. Oh, uh, You. Uh, com. We had a great run. <laughs> <And> then- <laughs> it is a great Christmas gift. I actually ordered... This is the funniest
0: thing. They, this is after they told me that it's <clears throat> going to be a bestseller in Britain or whatever. I ordered a whole bunch online just because I was <laughs> like... I actually just want this in the house so that anyone comes over and go. You live in Marty Feldman's right.
1: house, by the way, which I do. You live in Marty Feldman's <laughs> house. Oh yeah, you want to hear about it? Here's the book. I think that's great. You know that that is absolutely like I'm getting copies. I think because uh, I know people would love them and they wouldn't necessarily find it themselves, right?
0: I, and but there are also people like Paul of Tompkins knew Loretta for many many years. Mm-hmm. So there's people that I've given it to because I only got like the first rush of copies and stuff. Um, but I think that some, like George Saunders the great writer, mm-hmm. read it and was blown away by it, uh, even as a writer, and, he, and yeah. so he's putting a blurb, and it'll be on the back of the American cop- copy but it was such an honor for me because Loretta's intent for his writing was put it on the internet and see what happens mm-hmm. and, and then it was kind of this publisher in England and Eric Idle going, no, 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 no this is, <laughs> this is a book, so well, it's great It seems great.
1: like everything kind of came together yeah. for it to work too. Yeah. Anyway, So uh, take
0: risks, everybody, get out there and do it and <laughs> fucking take a risk <laughs>
1: You heard it here first. And don't Merry go to Hawaii Christmas.
0: with your risks unless you're secure.
1: What is wrong with you? So people with the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Marty Feldman. Let's hear it for us! Yeah. For us. Yeah. Hey, Kermit, Kermit, Kermit. Thank you. Um, the big thing on this show for me has been meeting my favorite Muppet. Oh, thank you. Could be, Master. Uh, I I, be. Be. I don't know what there is about him, but there's, there's something... Whatever it is, we've never had anyone make such an impression on our entire cast. But to have an effect on that audience, that's the most enjoyable thing, I think. You know? To convey a real emotion, to communicate something, um, some more than information, to be able to move an audience in some way, uh, either to laughter or to proverbially to tears. There are days when you feel you've done it, you know, you've done a good scene. You know it.
0: Dot com.